0: Welcome Life Church Livonia, great to be here with you today. My name is Alex, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If we have not had the opportunity to meet yet, I would love to connect with you in the comments, message us on Facebook, reach out to us via our digital connection card, because I would love to get to know you. Here at Life Church Livonia, we are highly relational. Welcome to week two of our series, Ready for Rest. It's summertime in Michigan again, right? That means we are all looking forward to what? Say it with me, vacation. That's right, that's what I'm talking about. We long for vacation. We dream of getting away to Lake Michigan or to a beach, maybe the Atlantic side, maybe going away to Florida, and we think about laying out in the sun and hanging out with family and just slowing down, just relaxing, rejuvenating, but that's never the way the summers seem to go, is it? right? Instead, our summers get consumed with way more doing than normal. We end up rushing from thing to thing, trying frantically to accomplish all the stuff that we're trying to do. And then we move from our rushing to striving to controlling all the details of everything so we can get on vacation. And then finally, at the end of it all, we collapse into the weekend or collapse into vacation onto the couch and we just end up scrolling on our phones. You know what I mean? Does that that sound familiar to you? Because that sounds familiar to me. But this is not the way God wants us to live. Right, These patterns of doing, striving, rushing, and scrolling, they're not just natural consequences of a busy life. These are discipleship habits of our culture that pull us away, not just from rest, but from God. And God desires that we would be people who don't just seek an external rest, being controlled by the doing, the rushing, the striving, and the scrolling, but that we would carry with us an internal rest that is, will spread out into the world around us. A rest that comes from constant and intimate communion with Jesus. Now, I don't claim to have attained this eternal rest that's deeply inside me all the time, but I'm shooting for it. It's an aim of my life. And I want to invite you to shoot for it with me. Last week, we did an overview of the power and the necessity of Sabbath. And this week, we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of reading Scripture. Last week, my wife Amber and I were on our way to the Team World Vision 6K, And she started telling me about uh, this really interesting book she was reading. Amber is a a counselor, and so she reads a lot of books on psychology and the power of the mind. And in this particular book, it was about the power of hope on your mind. And, And we were talking about how vital hope is in terms of people's recovery or decline in different situations. And the chapter we were talking about had three different case studies. The first one was about a man who was told by his doctor that he had cancer and that he only had three months to live. The man was so distraught by this devastating news that he died three weeks later. And when they did the autopsy, they found no cancer in his body. What this man believed about his life is what he lived out. The story that he believed about himself was the story he lived out. And he believed he was dying, and so he died. The idea that he was dying was so powerful that the idea itself is what killed him. How incredible, how powerful, how tragic. The second case study was a group of athletes who were given a shot and they were told this shot was a performance enhancing drug that was being tested. When in fact it wasn't, it was actually just a simple saline shot. The athletes after getting the shot played so much better, they reported feeling better in their bodies, they broke PRs and even some records, even though there was nothing performance enhancing. They believed they were stronger and so they were. The story they believed was the story they lived out. The third case study was about a woman who had multiple sclerosis or MS and about how her MS went into remission because she decided to start having a glass of water every day before she did anything else. That simple change made her feel a little bit better, which led her to start journaling as a way of caring for her heart and mind and the journaling and the water made her feel even better. So she started tracking her exercise and her movement, and she started making these little improvements and started seeing a real change in her life. And she, through watching her life improve through these small habits, internalized the message that despite this disease, I can change my life. And that single thought was so powerful, it changed her mindset, it changed her emotional state, it changed her spiritual life, and her body followed suit and her MS went into remission. The story she believed about herself was the story she lived out. All these stories illustrate something that we can clearly see in other people's lives, but can often be confusing to see in our own. The stories we believe are the stories we become. The stories we believe to be true are the stories that we live out in our lives. It's a very powerful reality. The stories we believe about ourselves, the stories we believe about others, and the stories we believe about God and our world determine the way that we live our lives. But if I were to ask you to take a moment with me and ask yourself, where do the stories I believe come from? I just want you to ask yourself that question. Where do the stories I believe come from? What percentage would come from social media? From Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Twitter? Maybe the the story, their life is just way better than mine. I wish I had what they have. Or our world is primarily an angry and divided place and people are idiots. Or those people are so stupid. Or I am fill in the blank. What percentage of the stories you believe would come from a news source? Those people are the enemy. How can they be so stupid? They are the ones ruining our country or our world. The way I think, it just makes so much sense. I don't understand why everyone doesn't think this way. Or, we need to fill in the blank to save our country. What percentage would come from TV or YouTube or entertainment? Man, women are just so... Oh, all men are just... You know, I should really be more like fill in the blank. And you know, the most important things in life are really fill in the blank. What percentage of the stories you internalize would come from your parents, or from your teachers, or your friends, or maybe your kids? I'm acceptable when, fill in the blank. I really need to improve on, fill in the blank. My future should look like. And what percentage of the stories you believe to be true about yourself, God, our world, and other people come from scripture? I am, God is, and life is, fill in the blank. The things we intake and look at and think about form who we are. Our life is made up of the messages we internalize, even if we don't give those messages permission, and even if we don't always agree with those messages. This isn't just true on a spiritual level, it's true on a neurological level. Andrew Newberg is a neuroscientist who's not a follower of Jesus, but he's very friendly to the Christian faith. He's written extensively on prayer and on the impact of Christian theology and practice on brain chemistry. In his book, How God Changes Your Brain, he explains a lot of the science behind contemplative prayer. Now, I haven't read this book, but I have read some excerpts and I'm very interested in reading this whole book. So this is not an endorsement, but I do think it proves the point. And I'm not a brain science expert, I'm not like Rachel Wahlberg, okay, I'm no neuroscientist going to U of M, you know what I'm saying? So I apologize for my ignorance as I totally parrot these things. I'm not really explaining them from a well of knowledge, I'm just repeating what has been said, okay? So prior to this quote, Andrew explains that we have neurons called mirror neurons that cause us to mirror whatever we're looking at, right? And we know this, we've all experienced this. It's why babies mirror our facial expressions, right? I'm very familiar with this right now. It's why our our kids mirror our words. It's why when we look at someone who smiles at us, most of us aren't cynical, smile back. (laughs) It's why when someone is angry uh, with us, we mirror that by going into fight or flight. When someone laughs, we often respond with a laugh or a chuckle. When someone yawns, we yawn too. We mirror the things we look at. And the same thing happens when we look at God. In his book, Andrew writes If you contemplate God long enough, something surprising happens in the brain. Neural functioning begins to change. Humans have a nervous system that actively participates in its own neural construction, something we do not see in other animal brains. It appears to strengthen and it being a contemplation of God, appears to strengthen the same neurological circuits that allow us to feel compassion towards others. He explains there's a little part of our brain called the anterior cingulate. And again, I'm parroting this. I don't really know all this information and I'm explaining it to you like I understand it all. But we have this part of our brain called the anterior cingulate that sits between our limbic structure and our prefrontal structures. And uh, this part of our brain, when stimulated, decreases feelings of anger and fear and increases feelings of love and compassion. When we contemplate God and his love, that anterior cingulate is stimulated and our fear and anger diminish as our feelings of compassion and love increase. He explains that the opposite is also true. If our view of God is not of a loving father, but of a tyrant in the sky or an angry judge or dictator. Our brain will exhibit and mimic PTSD symptoms when we think on and contemplate God. Which brings us back to the stories we believe are the stories we become. What fills our minds fills our lives. Hence all the New Testament commands to turn our minds toward Christ, toward Jesus, towards God. We see it in Colossians 3 two: Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. In Romans twelve two, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Romans 8, 6, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And finally, Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The scriptures again and again tell us to turn our minds, to fill our consciousness with the stories and things of God that are true, right, beautiful, and good. And isn't it funny how that list is kind of the opposite of most of the things we see on the internet? Most of the things we see on the internet are not true. They're grotesque. They're profane. They're ugly. They're impure. They're disrespectful and divisive. It's kind of the opposite of this Philippians 4.8 list. And so, as followers of Jesus and his people, we want the stories we become to be stories that are true, not just stories that are loud. We want the stories we become to be stories that are true, not just stories that are loud. Our culture is filled with passionate, emotional, heartfelt, and loud stories that cry for our attention and beg for our devotion. But the problem is most of these stories and narratives deal in partial truths and agendas that do not align with the way of Jesus or the truths of God. The number one spiritual discipline for turning our minds toward Christ and filling our souls with stories that are good, beautiful, and right is the reading and studying of scripture. Now, if you grew up in church, you may have some baggage around reading scripture, maybe because you didn't understand it, maybe because you were told to have a daily Bible study, a quiet time, and you've always struggled to keep that, and you still struggle and so you feel embarrassed. Maybe this was pushed really hard, while other basics of following Jesus were neglected. But despite how the Bible has been used and misused across our lives and across history, it's still true. And knowing scripture is one of the most direct, powerful, and essential ways to know God. However, reading the Bible comes with some difficulties. So before we talk about how to read the Bible, we need to ask, first, what is the Bible? What is this thing that we're even reading here? Well, the Bible doesn't read like a normal book because it's not really a book per se. Not in the traditional sense, anyway. The Bible is a library of books. The Bible is a book that contains 66 different books written by 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years. Not only that, but the Bible is written in a combination of three languages. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is written in a combination of Aramaic and Greek. On top of that, the Bible testifies about itself that it's not just a book, it's actually God's word and spoken truth from God to us. We see this in verses like 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, which says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Or how about Hebrews chapter 1 that says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. This is referring to the books and events of the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So basically it's referring to, hey, the Old Testament is God speaking to our ancestors, and the New Testament, the Gospels are God speaking to us through his son Jesus. This is a divine word, not just human written language. Or how about Joshua chapter 1 in the Old Testament, where God tells Joshua, keep this book of the law, referring to the Mosaic law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God is endorsing these things Moses wrote down as his words to Joshua. Now you may be thinking, well, well, that's all well and good, but I don't really trust scripture, so why should I trust what the Bible says about itself, right? If the Bible says that's God's word, why should I trust that? I'm not totally sure I agree with that. I mean, it was written by people after all, right? So like, Why should I trust it as God speaking? Not to mention, there are so many troubling things in the Bible that are very offensive and even dangerous to our modern sensibilities. What do we do with those? And so much gets lost in cultural context and in translation, right? How can you really expect me to trust that? And I hear you, okay? Here's the deal, though. As followers of Jesus, we trust the Bible as God's word to us. We don't trust in Jesus because of the Bible. We trust in the Bible because of Jesus. Jesus saw the Bible as God's words. So we see the Bible as God's words. Jesus was a rabbi, in other words, a Jewish teacher of the law, meaning the scriptures, right? So Jesus was a Jewish scripture teacher, um, and his heart, mind, and life were saturated in the scriptures. He would teach it, he would quote it, he would shout it, he embodied it. To Jesus, the scriptures he lived and taught from were not interesting literature to be played with intellectually. They were not emotional stimulation that only lasted to Monday, so I felt like I could get my spiritual fix in, but then I'm going to live however I want. And they were not one opinion in the midst of today's more complete and high-minded ideals. To Jesus, the scriptures were God-breathed truth. Jesus would say things like, God spoke by the Holy Spirit through David. And then God would quote one of the Psalms. Our Jesus, yeah, I would quote in the Psalms. He would say, God said, and then he would quote Moses. He wouldn't say, Moses said, and then quote Moses. He would say, God said, and then quote Moses, right? Jesus said things like, no dot of the I or cross of the T will ever be broken till all these things have been accomplished, referring to the Old Testament prophecies about him and about Israel and about the future and about God. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament books of Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and psalms as authoritative truths from God. Moreover, Jesus used the scriptures on the road to Emmaus to teach two disciples how the Old Testament really pointed to and culminated in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then as a vindication of this way of seeing scripture and this way of living it, Jesus is put to death and God vindicates Jesus by raising him from the dead, vindicating Jesus' teachings as reality. That's why we trust the Bible. Because Jesus did not see the Bible as a collection of human authors who are blinded by their own time and history and ignorant of context, Jesus saw these penned human writings as a partnership with his Father and Spirit to communicate God's heart, thoughts, standards, love, and truth to the world. And that includes you and me. That's why we trust Scripture. John Mark Comer, a pastor and author, summarizes everything I just talked about really concisely in one sentence. He says, Scripture is a library of writings that are both human and divine, that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. Scripture is a library of writings that are both human and divine, that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. Now, you may have more questions about this, and that's awesome. Questions are legal here at Life Church, Livonia. I just don't have more time in this sermon to unpack the validity of Scripture. So if you wanna have a deeper conversation about this, because this isn't a conversation, this is a lecture, right? So if you wanna have a conversation about this, please reach out to us on our connection card so we can connect and have a deeper conversation. But for me, what really kind of validated scripture is true and worthy of devoting my life, mind, energy to um, was not all the evidence and arguments. For me, it was the testimonies of people's lives. I grew up in a Christian home and I knew all the classic Bible stories, David and Goliath, Adam and Eve, David and Bathsheba, Daniel in the lion's den, Jesus' death and resurrection, of course. But the Bible often felt confusing and intimidating, and it didn't really bother me that much until I was 15 or 16 when I realized, oh, my parents are Christians, but do I want to be a Christian? Is this what I believe? Is this what I think is true? I was really grateful that there were a lot of adults around me who loved Jesus and really loved me and were actually really great role models. There are, of course, people who claimed one thing and then were hypocritical and lived another and were destructive, but they weren't the closest influences in my life. I think of people like Bob Hoy and Bob Tissett and Sharon Butchery and my parents, but one of the ones that stuck out as a shining example to me was my Grandpa Wallace. See, my Grandpa Wallace knew how to love people and really make people feel loved. He had a couple restaurants he frequented in this area a lot. Uh, He loved Dunkin' Donuts, so we went there a lot. He loved the Einstein Bagels on Ann Arbor Road near Main Street. He loved the Max and Irma's that used to be at Canton Center and Ford Road. And my grandpa was so kind and loving to the wait staff that um, when he died, there were waiters and waitresses from those restaurants at his funeral who came to mourn him because they were so grieved they wouldn't see Jim walk in. And say how you doing today it's a beautiful day isn't it they were so grieved that they came to his funeral a few months after he passed we were at another restaurant and there was a particular hostess who really loved my grandpa and she wasn't at the funeral and we couldn't find her to tell her he'd passed and we walked into this new restaurant and she's there and she runs up to us and goes oh my gosh where's jim and my mom said he, he died a few months ago and this hostess was so grieved that this man she only saw maybe twice a month was no longer in the world, that in the middle of her shift, she just fell down and started weeping. And as a 15-year-old, I thought to myself, I want to love people like that. So that even if people only see me once every two weeks, they know that, they love, that I love them and that God loves them. About a year later, I was talking to my dad and i had a question you know about christianity and i thought this is the question right this is gonna this could bring the whole thing down and so i um i go to my dad and i i, I give him my very you know a uh, difficult question for me and his answer just blew my mind it was like so next level it felt like when he answered like clouds were parting above my head and i just was like amazed And as he finishes this amazing answer to my question I thought could really bring all of Christianity to its knees, I just frustratedly said, Dad, where did you learn this stuff? He said, well, I read the Bible. I said, yeah, I read the Bible too. I don't know any of this crap. Okay, like how do you learn that? How do you learn like what you're doing right now? How do you learn about that stuff? He said, Alex, I've just read the Bible every year all the way through for over 20 years. At some point, you just know God's word. And as I asked a little bit deeper, I realized he picked up that habit from my grandpa Wallace. And I just thought, holy smokes, if that simple habit of being devoted to God's word and learning it inside and out can make my grandpa that loving and my dad that wise, then this is something I have got to invest in because I don't understand all the pieces about the Bible, but I do know the kind of people it creates and I wanna be that kind of person. And that's what drove me to make this commitment where I decided for 15 years, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through every single year. And in July, I start year 15 of that commitment. And let me tell you, committing to reading scripture every single day and committing, committing to reading the Bible through a daily reading of scripture has changed my life more than any other thing I've ever done. And it has been the best thing I've ever done for my relationship with God. It's the core foundational discipline that everything else has grown from. And so I cannot encourage you enough to do it. Which leads us to the question, how, right? How do we read the Bible? Now, there's a difference between reading scripture devotionally and studying scripture. We're gonna get to that in a minute, but in order to really begin reading scripture as a discipline that transforms us, we need a plan and we need a habit, okay? We need a plan and we need a habit. So what do I mean by that? Well, a plan is really answering the question, How are you going to read scripture? Okay, that's what's important with the plan. How are you going to read scripture? And this consists of two things. This consists of what content and what format. So the content really is just what book or study are you going to do, right? I mean, this may seem simple. This may seem kind of elementary, but when you sit down to read scripture, you need to know what you're going to read, right? If you just flip through it, thumb through it, hoping that God's going to jump out at the pages and grab you and change your life, you're going to be sorely disappointed, okay? He may do that. He can totally do that but in my experience, uh, just kind of thumbing through randomly is not a great way to really ingest the Bible. Now, there's a lot of great tools out there for this. You can purchase a pre-made Bible study, a devotional study that someone else has put together, maybe Experiencing God or Emotional Healthy Spirituality or something from Lifeway or Right Now Media. You can go on the YouVersion Bible app and just pick a study to read. You can start with the book of the Bible and just kind of read one book at a time. You can pick a larger goal, like I'm going to read all four Gospels, or I'm going to read all of Paul's letters, or you know what, I'm going to read the whole New Testament, or I'm going to read the whole Old Testament, or I'm going to read the whole Bible, right? Whatever you decide, you just need to pick something. You need to start somewhere to read something. And if you're new to Bible reading, I would highly suggest starting with any one of the Gospels. Um, And if you've already read the Gospels and you're looking for something else, maybe try the Psalms or Proverbs or something like that. If If you're looking for a Gospel to start with, John, Matthew, Luke, I mean, they're all good. John might be a good one to start with, though. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels and you've read those, maybe try Paul's letters. Or maybe try the whole New Testament if you've just read bits and pieces of it. Maybe try the whole Old Testament if you've never done that. You get the idea. There's lots of places to start. You just gotta pick a place to start. Now, once you know what you're gonna read, You gotta answer the question, what format are you gonna read in? And the formats that are most common are a devotional reading, a Bible study, Lectio Divina, and scripture memorization. So I just wanna comment real briefly on each of those. Devotional reading, which it just consists of reading a section a day and writing down any observations or questions you might have. For the sake of simplicity, let's pretend you're reading through Proverbs and you're gonna do a chapter a day. This reading, uh, devotional reading can be done out loud, or it can be done uh, silently, it can be done with friends, it can be done with family or kids. Uh, And actually historically, scripture was almost exclusively read out loud to a community, not read internally by yourself. That wasn't until after the Gutenberg printing press. But if you're looking for a good devotional reading format, we have a Devo card that is linked in our digital bulletin um, that I cannot encourage you to, to access enough. I mean, it's just a great place to get started. So if you're new to this, I'd recommend starting there. But really, every devotional study of Scripture has two questions we're trying to answer. God, what do you want me to know in this? And God, what do you want me to do from this? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? Maybe you've already done a simple devotional reading of Scripture, and you're looking to dive deeper. And I would encourage you to do some Bible study. Now, Bible study takes the know and do format, but it builds on it and includes a little bit more. So study takes our two questions and kind of adds things to them. So in the know section, uh, you would look at first the background of the text, right? Who wrote this? When was it written? What other books were being written at the same time? Or what time in human history was this happening in? And you can look at a good Bible dictionary for that. I really like the Revell Bible dictionary. That's a really great one. Um, and uh, I know that um, YouVersion has some resources for this as well. The Bible Project is a great resource for this. Second, you would just read the passage multiple times and often in different translations to kind of get a full picture of it. You'd write down any observations and questions you see. In Bible college, we had to come up with 20 observations and 20 questions. You don't have to do that many, but it is helpful once you get kind of the initial spurt done to have to chew on a little bit more and look for some more things to observe. Next, you would look at the textual context, meaning how does this thing I'm reading connect to what came before it and what comes after it? in the book itself. Then there's the cultural context. Okay, what culture is this happening in, in time in human history? Are there any things I need to know about that? Are there things that might help me understand uh, what's being written here by understanding the original time and place and audience it was written to? And then finally, the Christological lens. How do the life and teachings of Jesus affect and interpret this passage? How do the life and teachings of Jesus help me understand this passage, okay? And then the last part is we do, we apply. We just go, how does this influence? Now that I know the background, I've read it a little more deeply, I've made some really clear observations and questions, I've connected it to the rest of the book and kind of put it in its own time and place and then gone, okay, now how does Jesus help me understand this? It's not for the sake of knowledge we do all those things, it's for the sake of God, what do you want me to do about this in my own life? And that's a a basics of Bible study. Now, you're interested in this please put that on your connection card. We're starting a summer small group. We're going to be doing exactly this throughout the summer, and I would love for you to be a part of it. So if you're interested in that, reach out to us via that digital connection card. The next way to daily connect through scripture is through a practice called Lectio Divina. This is a very simple, slow, prayerful repeating of a short text of scripture over and over and over again. And as we repeat it, we just let it sink into us. We let it speak to us in deeper and deeper ways. The first two methods of Bible study are much more intellectual. This one is more emotional, spiritual. It's a great practice to incorporate, especially if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And lastly, we come to memorization. So when we memorize God's word, it becomes a part of us and is able to be used more fully and wholly in our lives, much more than just kind of remembering a low resolution gist of it from Sunday school. Memorizing scripture takes the writing from the page and moves the writing to our hearts. And (coughs) if you read a scripture and it makes you go, whoa, that's powerful. That might be the Holy Spirit telling you to hide that scripture in your heart because God may want to remind you of it at a later point. We don't all have the same memory. There's a lot of good tricks and tips for memorization. If you're interested in that, again, fill out that connection card so we can help you with that. So now you've got your plan. You know what you're gonna read. You've picked a format to read it in. Now we need a habit. If the plan is what you're going to read, the habit is when you're going to read it. When are you gonna read scripture? Is it gonna be with breakfast in the morning? Is it gonna be on your lunch break? Is it gonna be after dinner? I cannot encourage you enough to read scripture daily, not just like every couple days, hit or miss it's important that it becomes just a part of how we live. Just like brushing our teeth, putting on pants, (laughs) drinking a cup of coffee, right? It's just like part of how we just do our lives. I go on a lunch break and I eat my lunch. It's just what I do. I just read the Bible. It's just what I do. Now, in order to come up with a habit, first it's helpful to pick something we do every day already. First, and then we, we make a little association. We make a little rule. First I blank, and then I read my Bible. Right, so it might be first I brush my teeth, then I read my Bible. First I eat breakfast, then I read my Bible. First I go on my lunch break and eat my lunch, then I read my Bible. For me it's first I make my cup of coffee, then I read my Bible. Right, that, that's just what I do. The time of day is less important than the consistency. If you can't be consistent unless it's 8 p.m. at night, then read it at 8 p.m. It's just good to get it in you regardless of when you do it. You just need a habit to do it every day. Part of why the habit's important is because you're spiritually feeding yourself when you read scripture. And many of us try to thrive and hope our relationship with God grows in depth off of just five minute little scriptural snacks. And snacks are great. We should eat snacks. I love scriptural snacks, but we can't do them in place of meals and expect to grow deeper, right? We need to make sure that we have time every day for spiritual meals, not just spiritual snacks. Snacks are great, but we got to make time for meals. So to summarize, the world will tell you stories about you, about God and about others that will warp you, that will wound you, that will diminish your flourishing, and that will ultimately destroy you. And it will destroy those around you. And we've all seen incidences of this. But John 10.10 says the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it in all its fullness. So this morning, God does not want you to believe the stories that destroy you. He wants to speak His Word to you and breathe life and life in all its fullness into you. I want to close with a short story about someone who wrote about their growth in this process of daily spending time in God's Word. It's a story called My Heart, Christ's Home, by Robert Boyd Munger, and this is just an excerpt of it. So morning after morning, I would come down the stairs to the living room. He, Jesus, would take a book of the Bible from the case. We would open it and read together. He would unfold to me the wonder of God's saving truths. My heart sang as He shared the love and the grace He had towards me. These were wonderful times. However, little by little, Under the pressure of many responsibilities, this time began to be shortened. Why, I'm not sure. I thought I was too busy to spend regular time with Christ. This was not intentional, you understand, it just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days now and then. Urgent matters would crowd out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus. And I remember one morning rushing down the stairs, eager to be on my way for the day, and I passed by the living room. And noticed that the door was open. Looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus was sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, I thought to myself, "He is my guest. I've invited him into the heart, my, the home of my heart. He has come as my savior and friend, and yet I am neglecting him." I stopped and turned, and hesitantly went in. With downcast glance, I said, "Master, forgive me. Have you been here?" all these mornings, even when I was not? Yes, he said, I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Remember, I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost, and I value your fellowship. Even if you cannot keep the quiet time for your own sake, please do it for mine. Your life is of ultimate importance to Jesus. He died so that you might not just live, but flourish and experience life in all its fullness in both this life and the next. It's not just you showing up to the pages of Scripture every morning, hoping to hear from God. Jesus is showing up, hoping to hear from you. So let me ask you this morning: where are you at? Are you reminded and encouraged in a discipline you already love and keep? Are you convicted? That even though you're a follower of Jesus, you're weak in this area and you need to grow. Maybe you're far from God and you're just checking things out. Maybe you're unsure, but something in your heart and mind or your curiosity is piqued and you feel a pull, a tug. I want you to know that is the Holy Spirit tugging on you. And I want to encourage you to follow that tugging, follow that prompting. And we would love to walk with you along that way. Jesus died for your sins on the cross so that you might be free, that you might be free from the slavery of sin and its inevitable death, both in this life and the next, and that you might rise with Jesus as he rose from the dead into life and life to the full, both in this life and the next. So wherever you're at this morning, I wanna invite you into the wonders of meeting God in his word, so that instead of receiving the stories we believe and the stories that form us from scrolling we would instead receive them from Scripture. Would you pray with me now? Lord, I just feel convicted. Lord, I'm not sure where to begin. Some of us want to go deeper here and just start with. We've stagnated and we want more of you than we have. And Lord, I pray for those of us, you would just show us what's next. Show us what to read. Show us what book you want to speak to us through. And Lord, help us be faithful in the habit. Some of us, Lord, are just brand new to this. We don't even know where to start. I pray, Lord, for those of us that are there, you would show us how to reach out for help and help us to take our next step to get involved in community so that we walk together and not alone. That we would learn from people who are masters in this and that we would grow in love and knowledge of you. And Lord, for those of us who are far from you, if you're far from Jesus, But you know there is something to this. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. And I want to invite you to say, You know what, Lord? I have a lot of questions. And I don't understand everything, but I know something about this is true. And I am willing to pursue you. Lord, forgive me for my sins and show me how to follow you. I want more of this. I want more of you. I leave my old life behind. Show me how to do life your way. I want it, even though I don't know what to do next. Show me, Lord, what to do next. In your name, amen. If you just prayed with me and you want to know what to do next, the next step for you is to reach out to us via the comments or via Facebook Messenger, especially via our digital connection card. We want to help you take your next step as you find life and life to the full in Jesus.